Hello and welcome to episode 640 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR. We're coming off of a living in a sim kind of week. Yes, that's right. I've been meaning to come on here and give a more nuanced take about simulations and DFS. Been way too much going on, but I figured today was a good time to do it, considering I did not pledge Marchese in cash on Sunday and therefore have lost my will to live. So let me start with this. You know, personally, for me, I I wish there were no projections. I wish there were no optimizers. I wish there were no sims. I wish we could go back to the days where all we had was box scores and reading newspapers and watching some games. I I think that would be an ideal setup for me personally in terms of winning the most money I could in DFS. But there's just no point to even think about it or wish for it or long for it because when there's big money on the line, very, very, very smart people are going to be grinding their cocks to figure out ways to win. And in DFS, there's certainly big money on the line. I mean, it's really insane. If I wanted to get 500K out there on an NFL main slate alone, I mean, could do that no problem. Could probably get way more out there, actually. I, I have no idea. I mean, I know there's people winning seven figures a year on insane volume, but still. And so the evolution of games when there's money on the line is for people to try to find the actual right answer. Chess programs were developed to spit out the right answer for all these spots. Poker solvers were developed to spit out the right answers. I'm sure just like in DFS, a lot of people in chess and poker revolted against this. You know, oh, get this nerd shit out of here. You know, this is about ball, not computers. You're taking the fun out of the game, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, I I totally get that take. I am extremely empathetic to that take. I mean, deep down, well, actually at the surface, I I have that take too, you know, as I just said. But I also understand that it's not a realistic take to have if you're playing seriously. Like for me, I'm playing seriously for what I consider real money. I think I have a responsibility to myself, to my family to try to get better. And so, yes, there is no doubt that using the best projections, using Optimizer, using Sims can help me get better. In no way does it mean that I have to use any of these things to win, but the idea is that it can incrementally help. I I do think that there is a massive misconception out there on how all these tools stuff, such as Sims, interacts with quote-unquote knowing ball. I think people believe that the projection model or the optimizer, or the simulations just spit out the right answer, the answer to the test, and it's a print fest. I think it's important to back out and understand what's going on. These tools are absolutely worthless without ball knowers. These tools take people who know ball knowledge and help us apply that in a more optimal way. You know, we have a team of three full-timers plus around 10 of us total working on projections each week to make sure they're as strong as they can be. That's all on ball-knowing stuff. We have another three to five of us working on ownership projections every week. So if you don't understand the ball stuff, like, oh, with a Monroe Monroe St. Brown out, this is how likely Josh Reynolds or Cleve Raymond will be used. And where will they be used? And how often? Oh, the Rams are facing the Eagles this week? Let's be sure we bump the Rams' pass rate in this spot. They have no chance of running the ball against the Eagles. Cooper Cup is back. Oh, 
we can see what's going to happen with Devon A-Chain. Let's project him slightly ahead of Raheem Mostert for the workload in week five. There's also a ton of other stuff to digest about knowing ball. Like think about all the bad reporting we've gotten lately. I can't remember it all, but like the one that comes to my head is Ezekiel Elliott's going to play ahead of Ramondre Stevenson. I think that was week three or week four. Completely ridiculous. We've gotten all kinds of things like X guy will be on a snap count that proved not to be true. There were reports that Marvin Mims was going to be the wide receiver three after what they saw in practice. You know, one of there's all kinds of these reports. To me, the biggest edge is in digesting these situations, like the injury stuff I just talked about or the changing role stuff, and also digesting the news reporting stuff. How you interpret and digest those situations, to me, is a way bigger edge. We're talking huge, huge, huge percentages of win probability, way more than any of these other tools can give you. And that, you know, all that other stuff, all the sims and stuff, that doesn't even include the models and algorithms that we've developed, you know, led by Leone to take this ball knowing and adjust it. So we think that Devon A-Chain was going to get 58, 60% of the carries last week. But how many total carries should Miami project for in this spot, given team tendencies, opponent, pace of game, zillion other things. So all that stuff is baked into the projection. And that's, you know, just like the tip of the iceberg, all this stuff. We work on literally dozens of those situations every week. My point of all this is just, if you don't know ball or pay someone or pay us to know ball, every tool or sim is just total dust. So I really revolt against the idea that this stuff is ruining X because you don't have to know ball. You do have to know ball. Now, a couple of things I'd say about the sims. They are you know, very sensitive or somewhat sensitive to projections and projected ownership on field lineups. They are also biased to the projections that you use. Again, you know, that comes back to knowing ball. And for me personally, like I'm certain I'm not using the Sims to their full potential. The way I've started to play around with it is to test lineups against each other. You know, should I go to a a Tugavailoa double in this lineup, in this contest, or should I go to a single? If I go to a double, should I have a Giants player in my lineup also? Can I use Jared Goff with three other Lions and be profitable? Can I play this defense projected to be owned at 35% in this lineup in this contest? So just testing that stuff has, I think, helped. And I'm also just seeing some conceptual benefits at a higher level because the simulations are able to evaluate your lineup in terms of not just individual plays or not individual plays at all, but in terms of the whole lineup and how it interacts with the field. So 40% Bills defense against the commanders with, you know, X lineup around it might be negative ROI, but change a couple of plays in the lineup and Bills defense, even at 40% might be a positive ROI. But anyways, I'd say the biggest thing that Sims has shown me is that hashtag team play the best plays is actually good. You know, maybe not as much the last couple of years, but before that I was undoubtedly playing way too wild in tournaments, way too contrarian. And what our Sims have shown me is that it's actually right to play the best plays, but just have to do it in a smart way. Um, anyway, I don't really want to get any deeper here, deeper here. I know a ton of people just are immediately turned off by that stuff. Don't want to hear it. I totally get that. I, I just want to make two things very clear. First, I firmly believe people can win without using Sims, especially people game selecting right, people uh, playing single entry three max more, people playing um, under, who have a really good understanding of roster construction and upside. You know, if you think you know ball better than us, better than the projections, um, there's a massive 
edge in that. Like if we have Jacoby Myers for 21% of the targets and you think he's going to get 33% of the targets tonight and you're right, I mean, that is the biggest edge you will find in DFS. Um, yeah, anyways, if you want to play around with any of the Sim stuff, please check out the link in the notes on this show or on the subscribe tab on the site. You just could use the link to the solver. Be sure you, if you do sign up, you use your ETR email. Again, I think people are petrified and scared and um, revolt against this um, when it's not necessarily as big a deal as it seems. I hope that helps. Anyways, as for DFS in week five, I'm going to keep this real short. One of the most tilting and frustrating weeks I've had in a long time. In cash, I did a bunch of things I never do, like pay up for tight end when we had Johnny and Pitts available to us. Didn't play the guy that we had as the best value on the slate at wide receiver in Jamar Chase. Uh, Number one in top plays, for whatever reason, didn't play him. Um, Had Anthony Richardson, Justin Jefferson, Travis Kelsey all get hurt. Had Tyler Boyd touchdown get called back by what I thought was a weak call. But yeah, you know, I, I went, I know better on some stuff. And turns out I didn't, I know better. And yeah, got torched, it happens. But that even wasn't even the most tilting thing. The most tilting thing was that if Jamar Chase gets a normal score, like 20 or 25 points, I think I would have won the $250 buy-in tournament on DraftKings. And Leone, I believe, would have won the Thunderdome. I finished 20th without Jamar Chase, played the Tua Tyreek Raheem Mostert stack with no giant, no bring back. I was in eighth heading into the four o'clock game, still had three guys left. And this is one of those spots where like you have to decide what to do. Should I, I had a contrarian three left, but I was in eighth heading to the four o'clock games. And I already had had a bunch of guys go off. Obviously the two a stack plus Saints defense, Reynolds, Dave Montgomery. I decided in this spot, it was close. I decided in this spot to go and swap to the best plays. So I swapped to Brees, Hall, Zach Ertz, and Marquise Brown, who all perform well. So yeah, Jamar Chase ruined that sweat as that sweat as well, though, going off for 55 points. But look, I think anyone who gets it, anyone who understands what's going on, just can't get too down when Jamar Chase goes for 55 and you don't have him. Can't get too high when Christian McCaffrey goes for 50 and you do have him, you know? Just have to be soulless and emotionless, which is obviously horrible for real life, but but good for skill-based gambling. All right. Want to get to listener questions, but before I do. Uh, The NBA. Well, let me say on the NBA, I still can't believe the NBA starts in 14 days. Like, I love the NBA. I used to follow the NBA incredibly close. Basketball is my favorite sport. I think the best team sport. It's awesome. But starting the season in October in the heat of NFL is just so brutal. I wish NBA started Christmas or New Year's and went deep into the summer. Would be so awesome. But whatever. Anyways, Dink, Gallagher, the whole NBA team been grinding, getting ready for the season. Draft kit is up now if you have a season-long draft coming up. Also, if you plan to play DFS, NBA DFS, the bundle is live. More on props coming soon. Check all that out in the NBA tab on the site. All right, enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. All right, appreciate the questions from everyone here today. Clearing out what I had for some older questions. Today, I will be asking for new questions probably on Monday of next week. Keep an eye out 
on for that on Twitter at Adam Levitan. Going to do six of them today. Question one from Lee. He says, I love ETR and supporting you, but I can't, but I can't bring myself to wear an ETR shirt in public. Can you imagine a girl walking up to you and asking what ETR means? Hey girl, it's a fantasy football site. Can I buy you a drink? Um, no thanks, loser. Thoughts. Yeah, well, you know, Lee, I wouldn't launch right into the, well, you see, I'm part of this really niche community where me and my like-minded peers, we try to figure out the best ways to win in fantasy football. You know? If she's cool or into you, she might say, oh, that's cool. You know, when can I meet your friends that you're talking about, your like-minded peers? At which point you'd have to say, well, I've actually never met anyone in real life. This is kind of an internet thing. And and that's just screaming hashtag team no sex. I, I don't know anything anymore about what's cool or never did. But my sense is that in the right setting, I'm thinking like hipster bar, you know, you got people in there with their Emmanuel Moutier jersey on and mustaches and bell-bottom jeans that make them look like an extra from the reflecting pool scene in Forrest Gump. In those settings, no one's going to question you with your ETR shirt on. And if they do, you can just say, oh, you know, it's a website about football that my friends started. I give you permission to say that. So I will say that people send me pictures of, themse- of themselves or randoms all the time in the wild wearing ETR gear. Pretty surreal, man. I mean, we make $0 off of any of the merch. I-, I know you guys probably don't believe me, but we don't. But it's just cool to, pe- to have people out there uh, wearing it. You know, definitely cool. Uh, question two from Carrie says, what is your game watching setup? I'm a red zone guy on the TV with a game on the laptop screen as well. Yeah, I get this question a lot. People are like fascinated by my Sunday viewing setup. I think people expect me to have some home theater with surround sound and stadium seating and 10 TVs to watch every play of every game and mermaids fanning me while I eat grapes off the vine, which is absurd. You know, I'm a simple man. I love my Honda Pilot. I love my clothes from the Nike outlet. Fucking hate playing golf. You know, I love having two computers and two mice. So on Sundays, I keep it simple like I do in, in all of my life. I have three screens. One is on Red Zone. One is an ESPN.com scoreboard that auto-updates the play-by-play. And then either a game or my highest stake stuff I'm sweating on another screen. You know, nothing fancy. Question three from Mud Dungus says, do you watch professional tennis and have you ever attended a Grand Slam? Why or why not? If yes, which player's style and skill set most closely resembles your own game? Oh yeah, Mud Dungus. I watch a ton of tennis. I-, I do a ton of stuff that's probably negative EV, but the only thing I knowingly do that's negative EV is bet on tennis. Like, I love watching the matches. I know nothing. I look at no data. I do no research. I just fire in some stuff from my gut, like a real phone shitter, bro based on what I think about players or how I think their games match up. And I'm sure I haven't looked at it, but I'm sure I'm down a ton doing that. So yeah, I, I do like it though. Um, and honestly, Mudungus, I got to say, there, there's something oddly fascinating, uh, not fascinating, there's something oddly satisfying about what I just described. Like there's part of me that wishes I could do what I just described with tennis betting all the time. Literally just trying to have fun with this stuff instead of grinding my cock down to 1.9 inches fully erect and stressing so hard about it, you know? Grand slams, uh, 
yeah, bucket list item is to attend all four Grand Slams. Only been to the U.S. Open. I need to get to the rest ASAP. Did go to Indian Wells last year, which to me is the fifth Grand Slam. Was an awesome, awesome trip. You asked what player's game most resembles my own. I mean, it doesn't exist. These guys are just on a completely different level, and I'm fucking terrible. Like, I think I can beat some real USTA four fives right now with just more heart, better mental game, you know, competing harder than anyone you've ever seen compete in your entire life. But in reality, I'm not that good, you know? So I don't know. I feel like people, that's the way people described Andy Murray's game a lot. You know, a lot of heart, not that good. Just find a way. So I'll go with Andy Murray. Question four from Cameron says, what are your top five movies of all time? I know your motto is no excuses, play like a champion. So I assume Wedding Crashers is in there somewhere. Yeah, I didn't even really love Wedding Crashers, to be honest. Um, and no, Cameron, I don't take that line as a joke. You know, no excuses, play like a champion. It's a lifestyle. You know, it's nothing to laugh about. Anyways, top five movies of all time. I'm sure I've answered this on here before. It's always changing. I'll go like this. And by the way, I of course, I could say actually good movies like Lebowski, Godfather, Shawshank, The Sting, Braveheart. But, you know, that's so boring. I'll spare you guys that. So anyways, top five movies of all time. Number five, How High. Incredible performances from both Redman and Method Man. Just such an absurd idea for a movie. So creatively well done to fun-loving stoners smoke their way into Harvard and ruffle the feathers of the stiffs. I mean, it's really, truly hilarious. On number four, I'll go with Knocked Up. Obviously, I love all of the Judd Apatow-style comedies, Seth Rogen-style comedies, Super Bad, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up. They're just the best. You know, I, I would call it a tie between those three. Just unreal. They don't make comedies like that anymore, sadly. You know, the world has gotten too uptight, but yeah, love those. Number three, Alpha Dog, obviously, one of the seminal films of our generation, Justin Timberlake, this delivers a true, true tour de force as some wannabe drug dealer, gangster type who gets into a mess, kidnaps a kid. I think based on a true story too. Two, I'll go with Boyhood. I mean, just so much respect for the concept and effort here from Richard, Richard Linklater. I love the director. I mean, he did Dazed and Confused. Also, obviously, they filmed Boyhood for 12 years, you know, start when this kid is real young, I think five or so, and they don't have some big plan for the movie. Just go through life until the kid leaves for college. Yeah, just really, really good and, and unique. Uh, number one, I'll go back to Marley and Me. I know I just talked about this on here, but Marley and Me, I'm not going to talk about the actual movie as I'll break down emotionally. It's really pathetic, but yeah. Never has a movie hit so close to home for me uh, than Marley and Me. All right, question five. Oh, this was one that I found while looking through some old questions from the very end of last year. It's from Mike. He says, hey, Lev, ahead of the final solo pod, I just want to thank you for all the NFL content this season. Don't ever underestimate the impact ETR content has on people. Truly a light in my life. So I, I didn't want to answer this comment to circle jerk ourselves or navel gaze or or whatever it's called i really just wanted to remind myself and anyone out there in a similar position that not everyone is a cutthroat grinder listening to this stuff or going to etr strictly for money a ton of people really just enjoy fantasy 
You know, they like to laugh. They take fantasy football seriously, but they also like to have fun with it. And so, yeah, believe me, there are a ton of times I sit and think to myself, what the fuck am I doing with my life? You know, football, in the grand scheme of things, football doesn't fucking matter. It's a stupid game where these guys are putting their bodies on the line for us to have something to bet on. Am I going through, am I really going to go through my entire life, you know, not contributing anything to society? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a teacher. I'm not in the military. I barely leave my fucking house. But that's why Mike's note had such an impact on me. Just knowing people out there that have shitty situations on certain days, weeks, months, even their entire life, they're in a shitty situation. And we are just like some outlet, some form of entertainment for this hobby that we all love. I I think just trying to reframe it that way uh, goes a long way. So thank you, Mike, for the note. Really, really appreciate it. All right, last question we're gonna do today. Question six from Hunter the Hungry. He says, will you please address the discovery that Peter gets BJ's whenever he wants? All right, so Hunter is referring to a tweet from a couple months back from Ashley Jennings, former guest of the podcast, amazing person, truly hilarious, and of course, wife of the legend himself, Peter Jennings, aka CSU Ram 88. During one of Ashley's many tirades against Peter on Twitter, you know, somewhere in the replies, she was talking about what a great life Peter has, listed a bunch of things, golf, all, yeah, whatever. And on this list of great things, of why Peter has such a great life, she also listed gets BJ's whenever he wants. Obviously, obviously, I was floored, shocked, flabbergasted, envious, incredulous over this revelation. My first instinct was to have the forensic accounting team here at Gender Labs LLC, aka Gender Consultants, drop everything they were doing and investigate. And what they found was this is simply not true. Simply not true. When historians study this era, it will be defined by fake news. And this will be exhibit A. And honestly, Hunter, honestly, we didn't really need an investigation to define this revelation as fake news, did we? You know, married guy getting quote unquote BJs whenever he wants, as the quote went, simply doesn't exist. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this week's solo pod. Appreciate you all. Stay tuned to this pod feed as it does get crowded in the middle of the week here. Waivers show coming up team by team, rest of season, top 150, and maybe more all coming real soon. For producer Luke, for Jerry, the most beautiful beast in the world, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) 